The Puritan's Guide to Fall Songs Guide. I'm changing into our total 17, the Northern White Crap Theory. How can you listen to idiots like him that's just been on? Tonight's song is... I'm Joe Total! which was first released on Grotesque After the Gram on November 17th, 1980. Um, and a little tidbit uh, for the podcast, this will be the sixth song from Grotesque that we've covered. Which, oh, and wow. there's only there's only 10 songs on the original album. So mm-hmm. we've almost covered them all. So that's that's really interesting because I don't because there's lots of albums we haven't even touched yet. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, today today's guest is Cynthia Cruz. Uh, who is the writer of the Melancholia of Class, a manifesto for the working class? And I read it. It's a great book. I really loved it. And um, Cynthia, if you want to just tell us a little bit about the book and about yourself and why you chose the NWRA, and then we can get going on uh, what we all think of the song and all that good stuff. Thank you both for having me on. It's been a while. I'm sorry about the. Um... I forgot what happened, but sorry that it took so long. Um, so the melancholy, no class, the melancholy class was a book or is a book that um, I was pursuing a number of questions. The main question I had was, um, you know, I kept having these interactions with, um, so I teach at universities. I'm an adjunct, so it depends. Sometimes one class, sometimes five. Um, and yeah. different places, um, it's very nomadic. But um, so the people that I um, tend to work with, um, I would have these interactions with people and um, there was this um, consistent idea that there, there are no social classes, um, which meant that there, there's no working class people. They wouldn't say that. They would say there are no social classes. Um, there's no class in America, <clears throat> which I found very disturbing. Um, and then also when I would bring it up, I would say, you know, I, I remember asking a number of people a number of times, um, well, they would say that they never saw working class people. And I also found that very disturbing because they're a bunch of reasons. I mean, there's there's obvious, you know, postal officers and, and nannies and um, police and, and clerks and, you know, all that stuff. But then there's a lot of people that are not obviously working class. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Um, so that was something I was trying to figure out. But I was also trying to figure out this kind of... Um, riddle between this idea that there are no working class people and yet this antagonism I kept encountering with people um, who had a visceral sort of, there's no other way to put it, but a kind of hatred for the working class. So I couldn't understand how um, there could be no working class and yet there was this um, visceral, you know, affect, this feeling people would have towards the working class. So that was sort of what I was trying to um, examine. And I think I think that the work uh, that the book does work through that, and I was able to um, locate and articulate an answer, at least an answer that satisfied me. And so the book, though, is um, is made through um, I examine the lives of different working class artists and writers and filmmakers, um, and look at ways that different artists, writers, and filmmakers have um, uh, tried to assimilate into culture. Um, or not tried, um, or turned away, 
um, and, and try to figure out different ways that we might exist. And then there's also um, sort of a memoir aspect. And then I, you know, I also include different um, thinkers. It's a working through project, I guess is what I would say. Right. No, it was, I, I hope this isn't um, insulting in any sort of way, but it was very Mark Fisher-esque. And, and I mean that in the best possible way. I really, I've, I really like Fisher. I've read most of his stuff. I think, like, I think there's a few things I haven't read, but I'm they're on my list. So yeah, uh, but no, I really loved it. Um, I liked the artists that you covered, um, as far as musicians and writers. And um, the one person, the movie I haven't seen yet was uh, Wanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really so, hard to, to get a, um, to be able to see it. It's hard to locate. It's it's actually on Criterion Channel. And the streaming on, so I'm going to watch it and I just haven't yet. Yeah. So yeah, it's there. There, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's very funny. Um, no, but the, I love Mark Fisher. So that's just, that's only a compliment. Thank you for that. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Um, okay. So no, and yeah, I just wanted to tell you again, I really love the book and you. you also have a great, you're also kind of working through a podcast of your own. Uh, kind of on the subject of the book too when I've been catching those as I can and they're also really good so yeah just just wanted to let you know that um so we can move into the NWRA um I just have a a quote from Mark Fisher's uh um essay I guess Memorex for the Krakens or Krakens as Mark uh Smith would say um So just to kind of open it up and we could go from there. Um, So Mark Fisher wrote that in Smith's vision, the North comes to stand for everything suppressed by urbane good taste, the esoteric, the anomalous, the vulgar sublime, uh, the weird and the grotesque itself. And that essay is all about basically like the weird and the grotesque, which Fisher went on to write an entire book about Mm -hmm. as far as art goes. Um, So, yeah, I do. I mean, this song is definitely a sort of a uh, sci-fi horror tale, I guess, I think, um, one of Mark's. And um, I think that it is basically about like the North uh, kind of a war between the North and South of, of Britain, of England, not just Britain. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that, I thought that was a good way to, you know, start it off. So, yeah, anything that you want to cover on that front? Yeah, so I'm not quite sure what to say. I, um, I've i started, the, the I'm working on a new book, um, and there's a chapter on failure. And so, of course, it's featuring uh, Marky Smith in the fall. And actually, at this point, it's like 45 pages. So it's going to have to be, you know, like two chapters because it's just, but I think that's part of, um, I feel like one of the things that I think Fisher talks about this, um, let me backtrack. So it took me a while to get into the fall. So I knew that Fisher loved the fall and I knew that the fall were a great band, but there was something about, um, it was difficult to enter, right? And I think that that's intentional. Um, And then after writing the Melancholy of Class and doing some other work, I was somehow able to, right? I was somehow able to, and it was a slow kind of entrance. Um, and now, you know, I started writing about um, Marky Smith in the fall and resistance and failure and the different ways um, his projects 
work and I, now I can't stop. And I think that that's <laughs> but, but Fisher talks about that in some, some way he talks about that. So there's something really, um, I think really wonderful about the way that it's like this kind of um, machinery or this um, monstrosity that it's like, it can't get, it was, it's just so like, it was too something. I couldn't get into it. And then once I get into it, it's like, I'm sucked in and I can't stop. Like I said, 45 pages and I've got more to add. Um, so, but I think that all of the, I don't, I don't want to say all the songs, but I think the project is like that. This song, right. This is one of the songs that I love the most because it's um, this palimpsest. It's, I mean, what I love most is actually the structure of it, which is what I'm mostly thinking about and the way that it works, um, these overlaps um, and the way that it breaks, right? So it breaks obviously right in the middle where he says shift, but that's not, that's not true. The whole thing is really sort of a cut and paste, even within, um, let's say a stanza each verse or whatever, there's there's a break, right? There's an interruption or an interference. So the way that the um, the song works in that way that it's, um, it can't be resist, it can't be, I'm sorry, it can't be, um, oh my God, I just forgot the word. Hmm. I do that all the time. So yeah, it's yeah, okay. yeah. So um, <laughs> let me just think for a second. It can't be, um, it can't be summarized. That's sort of funny because I'm trying to summarize it. It can't be summarized at all. And it can't be um, made palatable. The whole thing is not digestible, which I think is um, Marky Smith's project. He's indigestible. His music is indigestible. His life, his presentation. There's the stories in here too. But again, I think what I find most compelling is um, is a palimpsest aspect and the way that things keep, um, the thing I'm also interested in relation to Marky Smith is the um, exception. So the way that he doesn't just say no, so he's not um, just reacting to um, middle-class culture. He's actually sort of, um, he's, he's saying a lot of um, but or yet, you know, so the whole idea of not being the working class representative, but he's also not um, something else, right? So the way that it keeps sublating and sublating, and you see that in the structure of the song, the contradiction, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a lot to say, but I'll stop for a moment. Oh, no, keep going. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the song is definitely layered upon as far as time goes. Like, mm -hmm. I. Mm -hmm. You know, you have so my favorite thing in here is that Joe Total is is speaking at one point and then points out that he's the yet unborn son of our Total, which is which is yeah, which completely <laughs> screws up any sort of timeline you want to do right. within the song, right? So, but there's and I think another thing that this that this that does this is the beginning of the song in which Mark is just kind of rambling on about, Oh yeah, there, you know, we went down and we were walking through and then uh, I was listening to junior choice, which is a kid's show, I think from the BBC, I think that's what the uh, annotated fall said. And then, you know, the kid's show was playing English scheme, which is a fall song from the same album, except that they changed it up and did a grand piano and turned it into a love song. How they did that, I don't know. Like, it's the whole song is like that. They've changed it up and done everything. And how they did it, I don't know, you know? So I, I, I totally agree with what your, uh, with your point so far is all I was going to say. 
Bob, what do you think? Well, I love <laughs> I love the fact that he uses English scheme as the song, uh, both because of this sort of intertextual reference of you know a song from the album that, that that they share the same record, and plus just because of the, the title of the song and the the theme of that song and how they it dovetails into the story that he's trying to to tell with the NWRA. Mm-hmm. I am in agreement with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, he's, and he's doing the other intertextual thing where he's throwing in like a, a, he reuses lines from uh, the CNC S Smithering uh, within this as well. So he's he's really pl- I love how I mean, we've always talked about how we, we love how much Mark plays with language and plays with lyrics on here. And that's just another great example of, of how he was thinking, you know, three steps beyond other songwriters at the time. Yeah, I mean, the more and more I'm looking into his work, the more and more I'm convinced, um, among other things, he's a philosopher, because the mm. work he's doing is really, um, I mean, it really is. It's it's just, it's, and I was thinking the same thing, too, actually, that he's always five steps ahead of us, but you're right, of other, um, certainly other bands at the time. His reference to the rising is also really interesting, because I think that the tense changes, right? So, um, oh, when, yeah it already happened or whether it's going to happen that also shifts. So there's no, you know, there's no time. It just keeps going. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of, that, that feels like a really sort of William S. Burroughs influence on this mm-hmm. um, thinking of how, you know, naked lunch and uh, other books of his, you know, fucked with the timeline and you weren't really sure where you stood at any particular point in, in his books, which I really, I don't know. I appreciated that reading his work. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Exactly. One one thing I would say that is also interesting, and it's kind of different from what we're talking about as far as time shifts and everything, was the allusion to. Uh, and somebody brought this up, and then I was reading the Wikipedia earlier today, and it got brought up as a negative, uh, <laughs> saying no, that's that's not what it means. Um, but that NWRA stands for Northwest Republican Army, mm-hmm. and, like the IRA which I thought was interesting because I'd never thought of it that way, mainly because he says the North will rise again within the song. But mm-hmm. at the same time, Mark's smart enough. I think that uh, he could, he, he calls the song NWRA. He doesn't call it anything in speci- specifically. It's, you know, it's just NWRA. So it could stand for both things. Um, so I, I, I thought that was really interesting um just especially because of the time it was written the time it was that it you know that it was happening the things that mark was talking about within the song you know um and it also kind of takes away from that american southern idea of the south will rise again a little more with that too which is a bit offensive so you know or at least you know at least is within today's climate i'd say i probably was then exactly too but yeah anyway sorry (laughs) i noticed that in the annotated that somebody i don't know where i'm not going to look for right now but somewhere in the notes somebody had said that's exactly what it was and i thought that was really interesting too this idea you sort of also alluded to it in the wikipedia that um the way that people um become certain that they know exactly what it is but I'm actually certain that it's actually both of those and perhaps it's something else also. And I think that's what I love so much about um, his work, right? And his project. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's all of those. And this, I think that's that exception thing, right? So it's not binary. It's not one or the other. It's actually this like overlap, which is super cool. 
Yeah, and I think that that, I mean, um, the one song I could think of right off the top of my head is this Captain Beefheart song in which he sings, I feel like I said, but he says it like acid. And so I can remember having an <laughs> argument with, exactly. yeah, I can remember having an argument with someone or reading an argument and then explaining like it was, it was bad because it could be both. And he pro- and he did that on purpose, you know, right. and th- that could just be also being into poetry at some point in my life, you know what I mean? Like reading a lot of poetry in which words are constantly doing that. So that lyrics are constantly doing that. So when your lyrics are constantly doing that too, it's kind of interesting, but, uh, but yeah, anyway. And, and I know cap, I know the captain was a big, uh, influence on right. Mark, I would say. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. One of the things too, that I, I think about with his, um, stuff is the origins of the band right and um i mean partly that they were so young but also the uh working i know i just forgot too right but the influence of the cabaret and also in one interview he talks about um that it's spoken word right the idea that he's um it is just poetry and then there's just this thing in the background but also the idea of it being entertainment right so this kind of um sort of cabaret aspect, this idea of it being at a small sort of pub or bar, and that that, um, that along with all these influences, right, that we're mentioning, that that's all part of this, um, like, carpet or tapestry, right, and I love that so much. I also love the, um, the insistence on um, the mistake or the error, do you know, and how, I, the, I forgot what song it is, but one of the songs where he laughs, and I love that so much, so just not trying to fix it or make it um, smooth, but allowing the um, the music to have that roughness, but also yeah. the recording parts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about like paint work and, <laughs> and those songs that are, you know, de- almost feel deliberately fucked up, even though they likely were just, just you know, incidents that happened in the studio, but they're like, no, let's not fix it. Let's just keep moving forward. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's also incidents of him using lyrics in the same song, but 20 years later. Yes. I was yeah, just thinking yeah, of that yeah. too. Yeah. And half the time you're like, is that a mistake? Did he just have it on this another piece of paper? But I mean, I think I think that most of the time it probably wasn't a mistake. And I don't think it was within this song at all. But, you know, yeah. but at the same time, <laughs> Mark might have just been feeling a little uh, rambunctious that day or something within the lyrics. And, you know, just decided to re- say something. <laughs> It, yeah, it, it's it's the hard thing of knowing whether it was deliberate or not, because what I was thinking of was the the record that The Roots did with Elvis Costello a couple of years back called Wise Up Ghost, and where it was basically uh, Elvis Costello kind of revisiting lyrics and, and, and themes from his other work, but, you know, filtering it through the uh, the sound of, you know, this, you know, funk roots, you know, R&B band, essentially. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or, or the more recent uh, Elvis Costello record that he just released that was um, all the music from this year's model, but he had all of these uh, musicians from Mexico and South America uh, do, you know, rewrite the lyrics in, in Spanish and, and sing them instead. And so uh, uh-huh. I don't think, I don't think, I'm, I don't know. I haven't thought terribly deeply about Elvis Costello's work, but I feel like a lot of his, you know, he, his, his, his lyrical depth is, you know, is pretty pretty down there. Not as far as yeah, Marky yeah. Smith, but you know. Yeah, he's a pretty good lyricist most of the time. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> um anyway, 
So maybe we should get back to the song for a second. <laughs> <laughs> just talking about the song. Come on. I, I know. But um, so yeah. uh, for, for you, Cynthia, like you talked about, um, you know, reading Mark Fisher and sort of finding your way into the fall during the writing of your book. What what was the first thing you sort of latched onto when you started listening to the fall? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know for exactly, but I want to say it's the way that in the songs he's like the um, like the barker, like the way he says, um, "Like come with me," and I think he literally says that. But the way that he literally calls me into the song, I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that pulled me in, and that was. Um, an entrance, but also the story, the garden. I also love that song and just the um, the narrative of that story. That is a that's like an incredible poem. That one, mm-hmm. and so that mm-hmm. too, right? Um, and I, but I think what was difficult for me was the um, the discordance, right? And now that's what I really love about it. But again, it, at first that was difficult for me. I think I was so sure. used to harmony, you know. Yeah, no, but I, th- I, yeah, I was interested in that about your interest in music in general because uh, you know one of the things that keeps attracting me to the fall and kept me listening to them was that balance of these really accessible, catchy songs with these really dense mm-hmm. lyrics. And mm-hmm. I mean, is that uh, is that a necessary thing for you as far as a music fan? Or do you try to have both, or do you lean one way or the other? You know, I have to say, I hadn't come across anything like this. You know, so I think one of the, you know, Cat Power um, was one of the bands I really love. I mean, a while ago, um, mm-hmm. her first albums. But but I think both with her and even with Mark Linkus, um, what what drew me in was the the music, the sound and their voices work as instruments. Right. So right. a lot of the times you don't even know what they're saying. So the fall was just an entirely I mean, it's it's still music, but it's an entirely different. Project, right? Yeah. He's not really using, I don't feel like he's using his voice as an instrument as much as someone like Mark Linkus or Cat Power would. His, you know, he's more of a presence. You know, he wants to, as we're talking, refer to him as like a barker. I love that idea of this, yeah, yeah. you know, and being a carnival barker. But again, that's the, the, you know, drawing you in aspect that you were talking about as well. Because I think that's the one that, th- that, uh, kept me returning to this song for a while when I first heard this album this song in particular was just the the musical aspect of it and just mm-hmm. this jaunty almost yeah if you want to say carnival-esque kind of you know keyboard part to it yeah. and so and then the further you dive down into the lyrics there's just so much there to unpack right right yeah now I really love the parts where um there's all of a sudden there's a um there's something that breaks up the song. Those are the moments now that I really love. Mm. Whereas again, that was what stopped me, I think in the beginning. Okay. You know, what also is interesting is um, Hotel Blondell. I probably yeah. said it wrong, but I really love that song. And then, you know, reading that it was originally Brix's lyrics and then he just messed it up a little bit. Um, but I was thinking about the way that um, it reads or sounds like a false out a song, the lyrics do. But right, it's not technical, right? It's not his lyrics. But the thing I was thinking about that is that um, it's the same way that the fall is never um, the same fall, right? It keeps shifting, but it mm-hmm. doesn't, it's always still the fall. So there's something really miraculous. I'm sure you've both thought about that before, but just the fact that um, that this stuff that's not his per se, right? Still sounds like his. How does that work, <laughs> right? How does that work? 
I, it's, he's, he's such a large presence. I mean, I don't think anyone in the band who might try to write lyrics for them couldn't help but feel influenced in some way by what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Bricks. I, and I think that's a pretty bold move on her part to bring lyrics into this band, you know, <laughs> and good honor for giving it a shot. And I don't think she did it much after that. Um, and no one else would, would dare try. Um, so, yeah, that's my feeling. You have any thoughts, Hiram? I, yeah, it's so hard to, I mean, yams, be quiet. All right. So, uh, uh, Our other co-host. Yeah, yams always gets in on the, on it. Um, I, I think, I think that Marky Smith, you know, they covered so much ground as a band that it's hard. I don't know. It's, it's such a, I mean, it's like, you know, what John Peel said is like always different, always the same. It's, it's because it is because Mm -hmm. you, if you've got, and also, you know, if you got Marky Smith in it, then it's going to be Marky Smith and the fall, you know, I, I, it's so hard. It's just, even when he wasn't on top of his lyrics game, you know, he was still, he was still subverting whatever music the band was coming up with in some sort of way. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's what helps with Marky Smith, you know, whether it was the, um, whether it was the sort of electronic stuff that they were doing in the late nineties, early two thousands, or like the sort of pub rock esque things that they were doing towards the end or the first bands. Um, he's just always there. He's just, you're, he, he definitely becomes the focus of the band, no matter what the music is. And I think that goes back to that uh, sort of cabaret mm-hmm. spoken word idea of what you brought up, Cynthia. And so, um, so yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, they, they stray all over the place to cover what Mark E. Smith wants to do as far as music goes or whatever the band wants to do as far as music goes, but he right. just makes it his own in that sort of way. Yeah. And I want to walk back my comment about Mark E. Smith not using his voice as an instrument, because I think he did start doing that towards the end of the band's run, but it wasn't in a very pleasant way because he was (laughs) doing a lot of this really ugly sounds from the back of his throat and just non words that were just really hard to listen to. And if you're, if you were like I was when I heard some of them for the first time listening to him in headphones, it was really unsettling to be walking around hearing the sound from him. Oh man. (laughs) Right. Right. Or just like remembering when he was doing mostly lyrics and when he was just repeating the same phrase over and over again in different ways, like towards the end. Right. Right. No, that's, it's a totally different idea. And he was doing that, but uh, you know, it it had an effect. It just wasn't the same effect. And I think that's also part of why, you know, Marky, it's Marky Smith. So you got to pay attention to what he's doing and what is, he doing he's giving you like voice as instrument sort of ideas within the songs i yeah. guess i don't you know so i think that kind of covers that too maybe that was a uh, fairly <laughs> it didn't need to be said but you know oh it's sorry. worth it i was agreeing with you how about that <laughs> <laughs> sorry anyway anywho um so you know, one question i did have about your book if I can ask, yeah. is how did how did you choose? And maybe this is sort of self-explanatory, but how did you choose the people that you wrote about, especially like the musicians that yeah. were within the book? Yeah, so I really I think what I always do is I just gravitate towards stuff that I love. So I was really. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went through a period where I was 
um, sort of ridiculously obsessed with Mark Linkus's work. And also, I mean, all the people in there, I'm, um, some of them, you know, I go through these cycles. Uh -huh. so, um, some of them I still am. Um, and then some I cycle out of, but that's, so I don't sort of pick like a topic and then think of someone to fit into it. I always sort of gravitate towards who I love and then um, take it from there. One question that Bob always asks, what was the first album that you uh, listened to as far as the fall goes? Like, do you remember which one it was the one that you got into them with or? I don't, you know, I, I was asked a question like this Recently, I think I was asked what my favorite fall song was and I couldn't answer. And I think it's the same here because the way that I work is I sort of listen to a bunch at one time. Mm, right. Um, but but definitely the older work is um, the work that I started with. with. I haven't even heard the newer work, to be honest. Sure. More, but the more recent. Um, There's... Go ahead. <laughs> Did you like have someone sort of directing you towards what you should check out? Or was this just a self uh, research project? Just a self research project. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I'm just curious if there was someone, yeah. Someone pointing in certain directions. Cause you know, it's always helpful for me when I'm getting into a new artist, but yeah. But I also love people that just, just dive in and find their way in however they can. That's nothing. Absolutely. Wonderful mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, and there's so much. There's um, yeah. so many websites and so much stuff you can find, you know, in interviews. It's really wonderful. Yeah, and there's there's also live albums, bootlegs, uh, <laughs> YouTube there's videos. Tons, tons. Yeah. And that's why we're here, because there's so much of it. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to point out the one thing I thought was really great this morning, which was hilarious to me and also strangely reassuring, was that when I was looking this up on Wikipedia, one of the people quoted in the Wikipedia article about this album was Bob Ham. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I was telling Hiram, it's just, it never ceases to amuse me to see my name quoted in a Wikipedia article. So I'm just like, oh, sure. Okay, great. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. No, yeah, so so Bob, the quote about Bob was, it's a literary vision of political upheaval in Northern England. Wow. So I was like, yeah, that is good. Good Thanks. job, Bob. Thanks. <laughs> great. No, a lot great. of people didn't like that piece that I wrote, but hey, it's cool. Right, right. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm, so... What was it? Yeah, I don't know. So, it. I was going to say, <laughs> go ahead. It was, uh, it was a, like sort of basically ranking the the albums of the fall for the site stereo gum and they do this site they do this regular feature just you know putting them in you know in you know an order best to worst kind of thing and and of course people are going to argue about that because everyone has different opinions about what's good and bad but they didn't hate that one as much as they hated my xtc one but that's for a different podcast <laughs> we could do the xtc one later if you want yeah oh i've been i've been tempted i have to tell you but oh no i understand <laughs> Cynthia, thank you very, very much. Um, it is great to talk to you. And uh, oh, I thought I saw on um, Twitter that you're, you know, uh, defending your uh, not thesis, but the uh, the PhD version of the thesis. Sorry, dissertation. So congratulations on that. Yeah. I hope it all goes well. Yeah, thank you. This actually, I'm not that far along. I just started my thesis, so I have a long way oh. to go. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. But um, but it's still really good, and it's been great to be able to begin that project. It's really great. That sounds very exciting. Yeah, it's very yeah. Good. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll have you, fun with all that. Can you tell us a little bit about what the, the dissertation's on? Yeah, it's just uh, very briefly. So it's on um, Hegel. It's on Hegel's um, concept of heroctite, which is madness. And I'm um, trying to put that together with, um, of course, the working class um, and the possibility of emancipation for the working class with that. So it's um, precision. I have to be very precise. Mm -hmm, Um, I'm trying to work on that. I have like three days um, when I'm not working. So those are the days that I try to spend like the morning working away on that. And it's been really great, but I just started it. Oh, we have a ways to go. Wow. I like, hopefully that gets published. I'd love to read that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And thanks. Thanks for taking some time out to talk to us about the fall. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for inviting me. The fall has begun.